Welcome to Sport Management Review Insights. I'm your host, Vitor Sobral. Today, we're going to discuss a topic that has been receiving more attention recently, the increasing attempts for sport organizations to connect with LGBTQ plus fans. We have the perfect guest to enlighten us on this topic. She's published widely in the area of diversity in sport and inclusion, as well as strategic diversity management in sport organizations. She's Associate Department Chair and Associate Professor of Sport Management at University of Massachusetts Amherst. It's Nicole Melton. Welcome, Nicole. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us from, from that side of town. I know you've had some trouble with, with weather and, and obviously other things uh, at the moment happening around there. So it's, um, it's really great for you to have you on. Yeah, happy to be here and to talk a little bit more about how we can make sport more inclusive for our LGBTQ plus fans. Nicole recently published Examining Sport Marketing Through a Rainbow Lens. And Nicole, I have to admit, when I first saw the article, I thought, oh, how dumb am I? I've never considered this before. I've worked at a sport organization and it was never even mentioned. We never thought of it. It's like, this is a market. How does your research help us understand this and potentially help sport organizations understand this whole area? First of all, I don't think that that is is uncommon to think about like the traditional fan bases that we typically target um, and to not always spend as much time thinking about our different diverse groups that we might be able to market to. And just as we've seen with over the years, particularly in the last decade, the rise in people that are identifying as LGBTQ+, I think more teams uh, and organizations are seeing this as a viable market that they need to understand um, how to authentically connect with and for, make sure that their sports spaces are, are places where these individuals feel welcomed and supported. And so I think through, this, through the paper with the exchange that we did, we really look at what are the conditions under which these sport organizations can make that authentic connection with their fans. And so that it's not just putting a rainbow on something and selling the, the pride merchandise, but it's consistently connecting with your LGBTQ plus fans in a way that they feel that the organization does care about them. And this is a place where they can find belonging. We had a discussion about uh, female fans, and I guess that's Pinkify. So I guess this would be Rainbowify. That's right. a weird term. But why did you feel it was important to, to research LBGTQ plus uh, sport fans? A couple of reasons. First, just my personal background, it, it resonated with me, the topic. And then also, I view sport as this wonderful place for people to connect with, to watch something that they love. And it's just part of our social fabric, regardless of where you live. Sport typically has this important part in our life. And I want to make sure that sport and our sport organizations and our teams are recognizing people from all walks of life, including our LGBTQ plus fans. And, you know, with the out in the fields research that came out a few years ago in 2015, where it showed that the stands were not a safe space for our LGBTQ plus individuals. We need to communicate with teams and say, what do we need to do differently so that everybody does feel included? And that was kind of the, the main push and the motivation to, to engage in this type of research. I think when you research something that's, that can be quite personal, that can be quite tricky as well. Kana, how, do, how do you go about something that, that you're close to as well? I think that that's a great question, first of all, because um, you want to be objective one. Um, but also I do think it, it gives me like the added passion that I need to continue to, to do this work because I do see it more than just, I mean, publications are great. We love publications right, in our field. 
Um, but I see it more as what do we need to research? What do we need to examine to help these teams and organizations so that we do make a social difference in the world so that people do feel included. And I think having the personal background that I have, it, it keeps me motivated to do their work and to figure out ways to, to communicate the message so that not only the people that want to hear the message respond favorably to it, but people that might be hesitant or there might be some resistance to it. How do we get them on board as well? You know, we have this idea that sport is all inclusive, sport the panacea of all uh, society's ills. But when you, you were researching this, I think early research, they were looking to determine if the LBGTQ plus market was in fact even a target market segment. To me, that was just extraordinary. Like I just went, wow. Well, and it kind of, I think, touches at our societal inherent biases that we had to do that research first. And one, just determine that this was a viable market our LGBTQ plus people, they have spending power, tremendous spending power, and they're very loyal to brands that will show that they're loyal to them as well. So just kind of making that case initially, and now we're able to move on to a point to see like, well, what are the most effective ways to communicate with our LGBTQ plus fans? So why do you think that was? Like, what, why were we not considering this to be even a market in research, not just in, in sport organizations? Just inherently, just how we've seen societal acceptance of LGBT, LGBTQ plus individuals in general. So, I mean, it wasn't until a few months ago in the United States, where I am, that now we have a federal law that says you can't discriminate based on um, sexual orientation or gender identity in, in the workplace, right? So just the evolution of, of those laws and regulations that we've seen, I think that's one reason. We saw a big shift, you know, around 2012 to 2015. That's where we kind of saw this bubble of LGBTQ plus acceptance, where we saw a lot of countries accept marriage equality laws and, and different things of that nature. And so as we saw it from a, a more societal acceptance level, I think you see brands and organizations say, okay, now we need to, to do something. We need to be good corporate citizens. And I don't want to be negative that they didn't want to do this maybe they just now felt like okay now we can do this we're not going to get backlash and different things of that nature or as much well you think that they probably take that into to consideration when we research these brands you, you know that's that's what happens well um, and uh, i will add too like the the youth they are tremendous they are pushing for this they are demanding that brands speak to this um notion of equality and inclusion for all and, and that's really been the change I think I've seen is just as how purpose-driven our Gen Z millennial fans are, that they want brands to engage in these conversations. And in the research, you, you take a, a few, a couple of different theoretical approaches. Uh, what were they and, and why was that important? So we draw a lot from social identity theory, just looking at when we form those in-groups and out-groups. And like we've kind of touched on before, historically, you know, your white heterosexual male, that's been the typical in-group for sports fans. And how do we make these other social identity groups feel more included? And so we draw a lot on theoretical tenets of just inclusion on feeling that sense of belonging and also feeling that you're valued for who you are and that you can be yourself in that space. And so for brands to kind of communicate that they do want, um, they are a place where all identities can feel belonging and acceptance in their spaces. Then we draw a lot from signaling theory and what are those communications that organizations are putting out that really resonate with people that traditionally have an underrepresented or stigmatized identity. 
two really interesting theories there, I, I guess, just for the, the non-academics, the social identity theory, the belongingness, uh, identifying uh, with, a, with a social group. But signaling theory, I, I guess, may not be, even for some academics like me, uh, may not be uh, as well known. Can you explain a bit more about signaling theory and why that's important in this context? Signaling theory, the main basis of it is just that we make a lot of decisions with, and we don't have the whole picture. We don't have all the information available to us. And particularly if we're fans, we don't know the ins and outs of an organization. So for the organization to really communicate that they do value LGBTQ plus inclusion and acceptance, they need to do certain activities, marketing communications that can signal to fans what they're about. And then as fans, we can interpret those things and make the decision of, is that authentic? Is it not? And make decisions on, are we going to go to that pride night? Are we going to purchase that merchandise and different things of that nature? So I guess you kind of mentioned that at the start with the, let's put rainbows on things. I assume it's evolved uh, much more since then. So what were some of the, the LBGTQ plus inclusive signals that, that you found? So I mean, we all love a good rainbow. I love a rainbow. I love those sorts of things. Um, but that's kind of the, the first step and where people have felt comfortable because we actually see among LGBTQ plus individuals, like that will resonate with them and they will see that as a signal of inclusion. Whereas um, heterosexual fans, some will see that as a sign of inclusion. Others will just say the rainbow is nice. I'll go, you know, purchase that. It doesn't have as much of meaning for them always versus more you know, when we look at what are the things that they're doing, what are the policies in place that they have within their organization? Like, do they have an anti-discrimination policy for gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender individuals? Do they have, like, in the terminology of their parental leave, are they using very heteronormative terms to do that? Um, are they being more inclusive in that regard? And so I think LGBTQ plus fans will look more they'll scrutinize it a bit more and they'll see like, well, not only are you doing a pride night and you're, you have rainbow merchandise, but what are you doing in terms of the policies in your organization that's really supporting LGBTQ plus individuals? And then also are they supporting different nonprofits within their community that speak to LGBTQ plus inclusion as well? So the combination of all those things and the statements that come out from leaders in the organization create this synergy effect that will resonate with LGBTQ plus fans. Did you come across any example where you thought that organization did a good job there? That, that's, that was a, a signaling that, that was really effective. I think Nike in their Be True campaign is probably one of the most visible examples of that. Not only are they, do they have the Be True collection where you can buy the different shirts or the shoes during Pride Month, but also, they showcase prominent LGBTQ plus athletes in their endorsements deals. You know, they have one of the first trans athletes in the Olympics as one of their endorsers with Chris Mosier. So they really continually show their support. They also, they give grant funding to over 20 organizations that support LGBTQ communities. So all of these things kind of combined show that this is something that they value and they're committed to. And they're not just doing something to increase some profits because everybody wants to be true shoes, right? They're going to continue their support throughout the entire year. It seems to be that's a, a really key aspect is not, don't just do this uh, superficially. You, you got to really believe it. So when we talk about it in the paper too, this difference between signaling inclusion, like through your values and different things, and then signaling diversity. So having here in the States, the Golden State Warriors, 
and their CEO is one of the one of the few openly gay men in the NBA. And so not only with pride nights that they're having and the policies that they have in place, but just to have that representation of somebody with that identity is huge as well. You also talk about micro level and meso level factors. So uh, micro level, let's, let's start with that. That's, that's easily understood. That's the, the little, small level factors. What were some of those that you found? So at the micro level, we're just talking about the individual level there. And that's where we look at, you know, if you have a stigmatized identity generally, like lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, um, a lot of times these, like we've talked about, these signals are going to resonate more for you um, versus if it's you have a heterosexual identity, right? That's not to say that it's not going to resonate always with our heterosexual um, fans, particularly if they're allies of the LGBTQ plus movement, then these things will resonate as well. So that's kind of like one of the examples at the individual level. Also just how that individual perception of how authentic this is or not will also influence it as well. Then you have the the meso level, which I guess means middle. So don't be put off by meso. It just kind of means middle level factor in between micro and macro. Oh, geez, I can't even get it now. Macro. Um, (laughs) You talked about heterosexist marketing practices. Now that's, again, a scary word, puts people off. What does that mean? And how does that work in in this context? So yeah, so the meso level, we're just looking at what the organization does, right? And so a lot of times... Uh, when we talk about heterosexist marketing practices, what we've seen in the literature is just call it like the heterosexy, um, how they've marketed women, where they've really tried to emphasize their beauty, their femininity, those sorts of things versus their athleticism. And that's kind of been the gold standard in marketing women's sports is like doing that and, and turning away from athletes that don't conform to those ideals. And so that's what we've historically seen and that hasn't always been like the whole sex sales that hasn't been as effective as they think it is really it's not effective but we've, we're seeing a change particularly with like Megan Rapino, who's an openly lesbian athlete and who unapologetically celebrates you know there's been some controversy around that in the whole U.S. Um, women's team but the way that she advocates for LGBTQ plus inclusion her appearance she is not trying to be some sort of heteronormative ideal of what a woman should look like and what a female athlete should look like, right? So um, the teams that really embrace those athletes that are breaking those barriers, that are being their authentic selves, they're, they're seeing that you can still see a return on that, that we, we appreciate authenticity and we want to see our athletes in all their forms. And Rapino can play too. She, uh, yes. she rips you apart, <laughs> as Australia knows all too well. And you also spoke of the macro level factors. So that obviously the, the, the broader factors. Generally, when we look at the overall culture, um, that's when we're looking at the macro level factors. So certain areas are going to be more receptive to these nights and, you know, these pride nights that we have and these different campaigns that teams will engage in. And typically those are our more progressive, more liberal areas. If you're in San Jose, San Francisco area, it's very well received versus there might be more backlash in more of our conservative towns and municipalities and areas. So that's where we look at the macro level factor. But what's interesting about that, in the United States, we have minor league baseball, which is a lot of times in these small towns, they're community-based. They usually market on bringing the whole family in and those sorts of things. But recent research has also shown that the Pride Nights have been particularly well-received in those communities as well. 
because it's signaling to those LGBTQ plus individuals that the team cares and they're coming out more so than ever before. It's just kind of an, an interesting thing to consider the context that the team is situated within. Yeah, I guess it, it breaks some stereotypes that we think of yeah. small towns as well uh, and, and those markets. And, and you also looked at the experiences of LGBTQ plus uh, fans. Uh, I find this fascinating. What, what did you find in these and what were the stories that really stood out? What we found is that when fans feel accepted and they feel included, it can be this wonderful community type of experience that they have to where um, particularly studies have shown that in the WNBA where women who identify as queer or lesbian, they find a safe haven within this space, the spectator space. So kind of counter to what the out in the fields study found in 2015 where it wasn't a safe space. There is also research that show there can be these pockets of inclusion that create a lot of social benefit and social support for LGBTQ plus individuals when they can find it and have it. So in the end, we, we, we know all this uh, from your review and your research. What does it all mean? What do the findings tell us? I think that tell us that the findings tell us that now is the time to be, be better, be organizations that are inclusive, that communicate with fans that have historically we haven't listened to, that we've in essence silenced and acted like they're not there. You're not going to face the backlash that you think you are, and you're going to create an environment where people can feel belonging, feel who they want to be. And you know, as a nice kind of carrot on the end of that, they're going to spend a little bit more money with you. They're going to come to your organization. So um, if you really want to show who you are and, um, and connect with all of your fans, the time is now to signal to these LGBTQ plus individuals that we're here for you. We're going to create an environment where it's safe for you and you're going to feel belonging and um, we can all enjoy the games. I want to take you back to, to when I was at a sport organization and, you know, we struggled for crowds. It wasn't great. And we didn't even think of this market. So let's, let's put ourselves in, in that position. What could they have done or what can they do now to try and connect with this market and make them fans as well? So I think first off, you've got to talk to these fans and, and see their experiences. I remember when I, right after in the United States, when um, marriage equality passed at the Supreme Court level, I was at an MLS game and um, in the fan section, right, where it's a little bit rowdier section and the fans were waving pride flags. And it was such this amazing moment for me, got emotional, like to see not only um, from a societal standpoint, the 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 inclusion, but then for it to come down to my, my sport life too, as a fan, that was awesome. And for that organization, there was the FC Dallas to give space to that for the fans to be able to do that was awesome. So talking to fans that have had those experiences, what works, what doesn't work, that's helpful. Number one, having your employees who identify as LGBTQ plus listening to their experiences and voices as well, I think is great. I know with different organizations we've worked with, the season ticket holders, they're excited to finally hear that the organization cares what they have to say about these issues. Because it's not like your LGBTQ fans aren't there. That's the big hurdle we have to get over. They're there. They've been paying to go. Now just make this a better, better environment for them. I think that's brilliant advice, Nicole, and excellent research. And, and hopefully we can make this a, a much more inclusive environment for, for everyone going to, to sport to events. Because it is wonderful. Everybody loves sport. Let's just make it wonderful for all, for all of our fans. Couldn't agree more. Thanks so much, Nicole. Yeah, thanks. 
And thanks for listening to Sport Management Review Insights. Please head to the Sport Management Review website to check out all the latest research being published, including the article discussed in this episode, Examining Sport Marketing Through a Rainbow Lens. That's it for this episode, but take a look. There's plenty more that you can download to your podcast player. Until then, it's bye for now.